0: The rapper Mike T was like, yo, this fool's on the radio dissing y'all peep and handed me the headphones. I was like, oh, shit. So I cut. Casual has a show. I cut and go to the radio like, what's up? Let's get busy right now. And he's like, nah, I don't got beef with you. I got beef with Casual. But this after you done dissed us on the radio.
1: Here it comes! Here it comes. You're listening to Fresh Era, where we tell stories of the legends from the golden era of hip hop. Each episode we bring you stories from the pioneers themselves as we dive deep into their lives, their struggles, and what it was like to be a part of the most popular form of music before it was mainstream. I'm your host, Craig Smith. One Friday night, just before the pandemic, a coworker and I decided to attend a hip hop show. He wanted me to see a rap group that I hadn't grown up with, but he assured me it would be well worth the experience. We showed up pretty early and there weren't too many people there. But then as we checked out the third or fourth opening act, drinking our $5 beers, something told me to turn around. That's when I saw a sea of people rocking hieroglyphics t-shirts and eagerly awaiting the main act souls of mischief the group which was a part of the larger hieroglyphics crew was composed of opio a festo and the subject of today's story tajek so if we rewind time for a minute and go back to the early 90s hip-hop was an underground force that drew a lot of attention from young people far and wide Rap music being the soundtrack of hip-hop culture, there were only a few mainstream artists to choose from, and they were either from New York or L.A. and dealt with adult themes while sounding like grown men. Enter Souls of Mischief. Their California roots mixed with the steeds of New York youth helped put a fresh spin on what it was going to be like as a hip-hop kid in the 90s. They were young, fly, conscious, and from Oakland, California. Taze, East Oakland, California. I actually was born at Stanford Hospital. My parents met at Stanford. And while Tajay is a dynamic talent on the mic, the family business was more scholarly than musical.
0: My father's deceased, but he was like an administrator at, at Stanford. And my mom is a psychologist.
1: Growing up with parents in the academic realm brought a unique perspective on ambition, family, and culture. This was East Oakland in the late 70s, early 80s. And the legacy of the Black Panther struggle for fair treatment and Black power were becoming history. And many Black people had become disengaged with the movement amidst ongoing oppression. As a kid, Tajay's parents made sure he saw the world through a unique lens.
0: You know, my mom, she colored our Disney books brown. You know, I didn't have TV till probably... Like, I didn't have a color TV till sixth grade. So, I mean, I was taught about my culture, but I assumed that was everybody's culture. It wasn't, I w- it wasn't taught in opposition to mainstream culture. If somebody was Latin, I just thought they were beige. And if they were white, I just thought they were really light-skinned black people. And, and you know, it, it wasn't... And this is post-Panthers, 70s Oakland. And I mean, another thing was going to Africa at six. And the pilot's black, stewardess is black, the cabbie's black. The hotel, you know, the first night we stayed at the hotel, that, that person's black. Then we're staying with some people who we went to Stanford with my mom. He's a professor, black. He's got servants because he's of the ascendant class there, and they're black. You know what I mean? Like, it just—I've it, 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 never had this concept personally that there's any level or station of society that anybody can't occupy. Because I've seen all types of people occupy those stations— I didn't realize that this was not normal. On top of that, he had a diverse upbringing in his family. You know, one of my grandmothers is Japanese, the other one is really fair-skinned. Then both of my grandfathers are dark, like Nat King Cole. My community is diverse, color-wise, just within my family. And before hip-hop was a factor in his life, his father made sure to expose him to music. My dad, you know, he got me in the saxophone, so music was a big part of his life, but not as much. Like, he was a radio listener. He didn't have, like, a music collection or
1: anything. You know what I mean? And he was also growing up different in some really mundane ways.
0: I wake up, go to school. I always had a bag lunch. That's part of the reason I thought I was poor, you know? Like, I thought that the kids getting free lunch, like they had a tab or something. Yo, you get a chocolate milk? My lunch would be, like, carrots and, like, a sandwich with hella, you know, wheat sprouts or beans. You know, like, I could never trade. And then I, my grandmother helped raise us, too. And she's Japanese, so I'd have, like, sushi. And this is before, you know, this is when there were five or six sushi spots, when it was not something that was cool or hip.
1: And as for making it through his early days in Oakland, he turned to some tried-and-true friends.
0: I played with G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe saved my life. Like, I played with G.I. Joe's probably till I was about 13. G.I. Joe from Hasbro. You know, action scenarios to, like, real life
1: scenarios, like like talking my problems out and shit like that. But in his neighborhood and at school, he met some guys who would stick with him forever. Pretty early, he became friends with the guys he would tour the world with, selling records and influencing generations of rappers to come as the hieroglyphics crew. Before all this was a thought in their mind, they were just kids on the block.
0: Me, Opio, A-Plus and Casual grew up pretty much on the same Street. You know, these have been my best friends since elementary school.
1: And Tajay's ambitions with academic parents were never to become a rapper. That happened because of his friendship with his future groupmate. I got into music because of
0: A+. Me and A-plus were very close as kids. And that's what he was into. And he was like, we're a group. You know, Like, okay, well, rap here. okay, rap. But that's probably 83, 84.
1: A-plus got him into music and also added to his musical influences.
0: A-plus is Jamaican. So his dad used to listen to Journey and, you know, Led Zeppelin, like Jamaican, they're probably getting stuff from all over what they can, you know, because people are visiting the island and bringing it through the airwaves and all that,
1: so, you know. So when hip-hop started to infiltrate the Bay when they were little kids, it was easy to narrow down how they would get involved with the culture.
0: I mean, rap was just the free portion of hip-hop. Like, breaking was required at least linoleum and some slick clothes. Graffiti required pens and spray paint, stuff that we didn't have access to as little kids. DJing, no, no, like, you'll get your ass beat trying to scratch on, a, on your parents' turntables. You know, it was like a, we just kind of started messing with it.
1: At that time, New York hip-hop was still reigning supreme, and there was little to no Bay Area representation in hip-hop. Becoming a rapper wasn't a career choice. It was pure fun and entertainment with his friends. As he and A-plus got deeper into music, his parents allowed him to participate in hip-hop under one condition.
0: As long as I got good grades, I was allowed to do Whatever. I mean, you know, we didn't grow up with money or nothing like that. Like, it, when I say they let us do anything, like, I, I didn't have a crazy curfew. I just had to be home, by street lights. And there were rules and regulations in the household, but they
1: centered around academic excellence, mainly. So in his free time, he continued experimenting with rapping.
0: As, as it progressed, we, we really started, like, doing it. Like, I remember we made a song called Perpetrators, me and A+. I remember my dad got me, I think for my sixth grade graduation, a boombox, but the boombox had a record on it. So we would record the shows, the rap shows, so K-Poo, like Marcus Clemens on k and Kevvy Kev on KZSU. Don't
1: ever try and catch this crew. KZSU Stanford. We
0: would record those shows, and then we'd also like... P and A+. We'd do this thing where he would beatbox into a bowl for re- reverb, and then he'd like break it down, and then I'd take the bowl and start beatboxing, and he'd rap, and you know, we'd switch back and forth. So we made our first little demos like that.
1: They caught the bug and were spending as much time as they could on rap. As long as Tajay kept his grades up, he was okay to cultivate his rap style. His rap style, which was influenced by LL Cool J. They hear me, they feel
0: me. My funky poetry. I'm improving the conditions of the rap industry. Run. And too short. I don't stop rapping. That's my theme. I make a lot of money. Do you know
2: what I mean?
0: That's it, it's very simple. You know now, the varying degrees to which you pour those things together. You know, and then you add like G-Rap or Kane or Kim later as you polish it. And then also, you know, they were cursing and talking about shit we couldn't even talk about. You know, like we had to go like hide to play two short tapes and all that kind of stuff. So it was just I- exciting.
1: The excitement around becoming a rapper was inescapable. And for Tajay and his friends, there was no mistaking how serious they took it. Uh, I'll put it like this. If I'm rapping and
0: I have a recorded music, I am a rapper. And we've always thought that. So when, we, when people asked, it wasn't what are you going to be when you grow up or something. It was like, oh, yeah, we're rappers. You know, and that started maybe ninth grade, eighth grade. It was real as soon as we started making songs because we never were like kid rappers. And it wasn't like fun or jokingly or anything like that. Like we were serious about rapping from early on. Then it was like, oh, we can be professional rappers. Hell yeah, let's do it.
1: At a young age, Tajay and his earliest friends, the guys who would go on to form Souls of Mischief and the Hieroglyphics crew were rappers. It was only a matter of time and some connections before the crew would get their name out and start a movement. Coming up, Tajay and his friends become Souls of Mischief, travel the world, and create a hip-hop masterpiece, 93 Till Infinity. Then later, we get to hear the story of an epic battle that took place on national radio between Hieroglyphics and Hobo Junction. Stay tuned. clear my throat.
2: I am the legendary DJ Cool, and I'm here to tell you about a new stupid flat podcast I'm on called Headspin, the classic hip-hop trivia gamecast. Headspin! Come listen as two golden era gladiators compete head-to-head to to see who will be victorious in their knowledge of completely useless hip-hop trivia. Headspin! The winner will go home with cold hard cash, while the loser will be forced to spin the dreaded hip-hop wheel of consequences. Headspin premieres June 30th with new episodes every Wednesday after. Make sure to subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, Audible, or wherever you get your podcasts and follow Headspin Game Show to get in on the action. Headspin, the only classic hip-hop game
0: cast. Headspin!
1: And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer.
0: Visit Carvana.com
1: or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Tajay was still a young kid when he was exposed to the world of hip-hop and decided to become a rapper he was still very engaged academically given the influence of his parents. And at the same time, he met his future crewmates, Casual and A+. And his goals in music were pretty simple at the time. I
0: was trying to impress A+, man. You know, like, just let me be as good. Like, A-plus was advanced. Like, he was like a man-child.
1: In Oakland at the time, there weren't too many ways to listen to new rap music. There weren't sections in the record shop dedicated to the genre. It was still fairly new. We used to call
0: them beat tapes. We didn't know rap was called rap. You know, there's something called hip-hop, like, for real. We was just like, oh, you got a beat tape? And it'll be, like, a two-short song. And then, like, when I, that's probably why we rap. is because we were like, oh, he's from Oakland and he raps. Oh, it's not just something the New Yorkers do? Oh, okay, I'll rap, too.
1: At their elementary school, they also met a kid who was a little older and had a couple connections down in Los Angeles. His name is Teron Jones, but people all around the world know him as Dale the Funky Homo Sapien. Mr. Dabalina, Mr. Bob Dabalina, Mr. Bob. Dell's I I cousin was a little known rapper at the time based in Los Angeles, but eventually became an icon. He called himself Ice Cube. Straight
2: out of context, Crazy motherfucker named Ice
0: Cube. By seventh grade, Dell is going back and forth to LA and he's working with Surgeon's and Ice Cube. And then he starts bringing us by, I guess I was eight, eighth grade. So so we flew down. No, I don't think we flew. We drove and, you know, went to record Sir Jinx. I mean, these are like four-track recordings. And they just had us in studios and just in gangland, man. Like, you know, like, for real gangland during the real gang era. And then in Hollywood, police are searching for three suspected gang members.
1: Countless horrors from Los Angeles to Oakland with thousands of people caught in the crossfire.
0: You know, Oakland, we say blood a lot because that's just like, it's an old black man slang, right?
1: hey yeah, yeah, yeah. blood. so... We had to chill that out a little bit when we were down there. And when they got back to Oakland, they had demo songs and a hunger for more. They rented studio time and purchased equipment. Their identity was steeped in hip-hop, and they needed a name to match.
0: Me and A-Plus were called The Syndicate first, and then we were called Rhythm, Rhythm and Excellence. I think we were Little Rascals for like 20 minutes, and then we were like Souls of Mischief. And I think that's just from that era, trends of culture, Naughty by Nature.
1: As time passed, they honed their skills and became great. In the process, something phenomenal happened. Their friend Dale signed a deal through his cousin Ice Cube and released his debut album, I Wish My Brother George Was Here, on Elektra Records in 1991. This was a huge turning point for their circle. On the B-side of Dale's single, Mr. Dabalina, they released a song that featured the crew, including Souls of Mischief, on a song called Burn. And this was their moment to shine.
2: Needs no sugar crisp to get swift, so what with two syllables exemplifies a gift? Tajay, I see stones who try to kill my ladders. Ladders release upon your porch if you don't
0: see. Once we decided we were going to be rappers, we were just going to be rappers, man. You know, like, and when I can show you a vinyl with me on it, you can't say nothing to me.
1: This stamp of approval, being a rapper who was recorded and distributed on vinyl, meant that everyone was now taking them seriously and people were paying attention, particularly record labels. Back in the early 90s, the landscape of music distribution was very institution-based. You needed a record deal. Even if you wanted to put out a record as an independent label, you would need major label support to actually blow up. You couldn't just
0: come out. Even if you made a vinyl, you could. do you have the payola to pay the... I mean, until the box, you couldn't even get on TV, you know? Like, you had to be on a major label, and you had to be, like, on a major label that's pushing you. So, yeah, the labels had to come looking for us. They came looking for us because we were out on
1: vinyl. And in the meantime, they had already worked up a demo. Some of the songs will be used for the album they were creating, and one of them in particular would become an underground classic. Into the song Angela by Bob James, which was used as the theme for the 70s show Taxi.
0: I think A-plus found that record at my mom's house.
1: And they recorded a song called Cab Fair. Yo,
2: the jam was fly. Oh my, now it's over. My batch of pals cut so tight. They must catch a taxi cab. Dag why they leave me? Stuck in the late night app? Calum's not so hot that everyone ship is sweating. Yet nobody's smiling. Let's cruise a pilot.
0: I, I was 15 when we made it. I, knew, I wasn't even allowed to drive. We made it on our demo. And then Bob James... Veto the sample clearance And then we found out he didn't even really own the uh, Warner Brothers owned the Publishing or something like that And it got on our demo, we had that We had the song with a Doors sample called Fraud in My Soup, we had Make Your Mind Up Bat in Practice, and I think we had this song Called Theme of the Vandals
1: This is when they finally settled on a deal with a record label The buzz created from their affiliation With Dell the Funky Homo Sapien Attracted the attention of Jive Records
0: So I got signed June senior year 92.
1: And with this, they were set to release their debut album, but they needed a name. And in the final hours, they remembered a demo from a year prior.
0: A-plus had this idea for a song called 91 to Infinity. And it was over a beat that was kind of chill. So I was feeling it, but not really, but never got done. Fast forward to finishing the album. And then we had finished recording the album, and A-plus came like, Yo, I made this beat last night, but I gave it to Pep. And he played it, and we were like, ah, we got to call executive. We need this one. And then we recorded it, I think, that day. And then that was the title track and everything. (sighs) It was just a good song to us. Obviously, it must have been more, though, because we decided to name the album Matt. I mean, this is how we chill from 93 till repeated i used to hate that man because it said the year unless it's like it was the summer of 69 like i bet you 1970 71 72 they were like fuck which it has just said it was the summer and now it's like summer of 69 like dude that's the one of the greatest summers ever it's like okay we've stamped that year into a song
1: now let's pause here for a second Without even trying, they had come up with a song, album, and phrase, 93 Till Infinity, that would cement them as legends and plant a flag for hip-hop in the 90s. No one had experienced hip-hop like this, especially from the West Coast. Souls of Mischief had created a bomb that's influence would grow to inspire everyone from Outkast to Kanye West and become a gateway into hip-hop for kids from inner cities and suburban areas all throughout the nation. Now with an album title and a lead single, it was time to release. The single came out ahead of the album on radio and people throughout the nation, specifically kids in high school, loved it. The next step for many was to go buy the song in stores, but that's when it became evident that the song would only get so big. Even though people loved the music, Jive Records didn't put nearly enough effort into blowing the group up into superstar status off the strength of this album. The folly of youth, like you think that you're gonna be extremely huge. You think you're going to be on a Snoop
0: Dogg, LL Cool J, Will I Am superstar level of music. You know, because everything you make is just wonderful and you're, you're not making music for nobody to hear it.
1: You're making music for everybody to hear it. Nonetheless, they released their debut album, 93 Till Infinity, on Jive, and Tajay was living his dream. But there was still one thing outside of music that needed his attention school.
0: So I was seventeen and ninety two. We recorded ninety three till infinity that summer and then fall ninety three, the album comes out. And so I went to one semester, one quarter at Stanford. It wasn't even a question of whether or not I was gonna go to Stanford, really. It was like, Hell, Yo, you're going to Stanford. That's what my dad was. My mom was like, Hey, go where you, go wherever. But I really feel like my parents generation was the first generation for most black people in America that really saw the efficacy of or the connection between education and ascendancy uh, as far as so not necessarily socially but just within society I think prior to that it didn't matter how educated you were you're were going to be a porter unless you're an entrepreneur you were going to be a porter or an army man I mean you couldn't even be a cop you couldn't be you know like you you, you may maybe a garbage man but you know mechanic these types of things cook even if you were, had a PhD <laughs> you know?
1: his journey toward hip-hop stardom was well underway with singles out on Jive Records, Tajay and Souls of Mischief had just released their studio album and were about to ride into legendary status. But with more notoriety comes complexity. Tajay was about to be a part of hip hop history and help create a movement. At the same time, he still has to contend with college, misconceptions about Souls of Mischief's gangster, and their crew gets tested on national radio. All this when we come back. Hey, Chub Rock here. Thanks for tuning in to Fresh Era. Did you know that the guys over at
2: Stupid Fly are doing this strictly out of love for 90s hip-hop culture? They may make it
1: sound easy, but tons of time and money was spent on creating, writing, mixing these episodes. If you like what you hear, please do me a favor. Go to stupid-fly.com and pick up some merch to show your support. Then follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Stupid Fly Media. Come and be part of our community of Golden Era Gladiators. Once again, at stupid-fly.com. Now head over there and treat them right.
0: Delve into the shadows of the mind
1: with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall, uncovering secrets from his past, In September of 1993, the album 93 Till Infinity was released on Jive. The release came equipped with 14 tracks in total, some of which were recorded as demos before the record deal. They released the singles That's When You Lost,"
2: Lost,
1: Never No More, In the title track 93 Till Infinity The sound hit the scene and created a sense in a lot of young people that they were rappers speaking for them They solidified that rap wasn't just for the adults That and these guys from the Bay were on the same frequency as New York rappers Young, fresh, and intellectual was their calling card this was enough to separate them from the pack and came with some unintended misconceptions.
0: Yeah, I think it sounds like this voices, vocal tone, when we're talking half the time, it's not like, yo, these bitches, it's like, yo, what's up, man, what, you know, I'm chilling, you know? We're from East Oakland, been around all kind of stuff, participated in all kind of stuff. Any, any extracurricular stuff I was doing was because I was not willing to make the necessary sacrifices to get the money I needed through conventional means of course we was around all that stuff fools have all had their share of weapons and all that kind of stuff i mean we are souls of mischief we weren't running around with bats and spike bats and you know penny rolls and all that kind of shit but when it got to guns and selling like big dope and all that like were we to participate we would learn soon that we were not of that
1: nevertheless souls of mischief was still ready for whatever and this was especially tested on tour They had the good fortune, after the album came out, to tour with some hip-hop icons.
0: First tour we went on was uh, De La uh, Award Tour. You know, the De La tribe and us and I guess alcoholics was an alternate on certain shows.
1: And going on tour with these guys made a lot of sense in a lot of ways.
0: You know what I mean, you know, like, okay, we like the fly shit and the women and all that kind of stuff, but also we got this sort of boho, weird kind of style and all that. I think we're somewhere between Black Sheep and Tribe. So to be on tour with Dayline Tribe as our first thing, and them ask, asking for us to be on tour, man, you know, it was the best experience. And them dudes are consummate professionals, they really set the tone for how tours get done.
1: Touring with the likes of De La Soul and A Tribe Called Quest set them up to become great on the road.
0: They were pros, you know, the sound was straight, they got there on time, and they they, they expected that of us and treated us in that manner.
1: And the vibe behind the scenes was accompanied with the good times on stage.
0: We had this show in San Jose, and because we were in the Bay, I think, uh, De La and Tribe were like, yo, let's just go song for song. And so we just did a round robin. And I think that was some of the greatest shit I've ever experienced. La soul
1: would come out. Mirror, mirror on the wall, tell me, mirror, what is wrong? Then try, the 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 and then souls of mystery. Yeah, this is how we chill
2: from '93 to This is how we chill from '93
1: to. They were right at home on tour and making a name for themselves. Traveling around the world had them living out their dreams. Meanwhile, 93 Till Infinity was gaining traction among hip-hop fans. But they didn't really know it because... We
0: were gone when 93 was at its peak. We were on this tour. So I didn't understand. Like, it's just people started knowing the words at some point.
1: Another sign that they were on the come up was when they appeared on the soundtrack of a major motion picture. Keenan Ivory Wayans, a low-down, dirty shame. We were just like, we read the,
0: you know, they just give you the script. We didn't get a screening or anything. And so we were like, uh, shit, get the girl, grab the... Isn't every movie about this? You know what I mean? So we made the song. The,
2: next one. Yeah, grab the money and run. Get the girl, grab the money and run. Get the girl, grab yeah. the money and
0: run. Get the girl, grab the money. And I remember filming that video, and there was a woman that was in the video that ended up being like a model for L'Oreal or whatever. Back in the days, like, videos had, like, models, like
1: runway models and Alvin Ailey dancers and shit. So while they were rocking stages all around the globe and making it to the big screen, it's important to note that Tajay, the rap star, was still enrolled in college at Stanford, and he figured out a way to get work done while he was traveling.
0: Used to had a homegirl, Sharifa Abdullah. She used to, um... I used to fax her my homework. She would fax
1: me the homework, and then I'd fax it back, and she'd take it to my professors and stuff. As time went on, after the release of 93 Till Infinity, they were put out there for the world to see and started to grow a cult following, performing on shows like In Living Color.
0: Jive Records recording artist Souls of Mission
1: singing 93 Till Infinity, Oakland all up in the house. Yo, what's up, all Souls of Bishop in the house. Rap City. Oh, yeah. It gets so bad up. Oh, yeah. Creature, your Rito. yes we
2: know this stuff
1: is flavor And the more they performed the more attention they received. Some of it wasn't always great. Even though they came from East Oakland, they presented a peaceful vibe. But that didn't always keep the drama away. In 94, the Hieroglyphics crew would settle an Oakland feud on Sway and King Tech's The Wake Up Show. With a rap battle that would go down in history, the Hieroglyphics crew had developed some not-so-secret tension with another crew in town called Hobo Junction and their front man, Saphir. I know I'm an emotionally disturbed person. People think I'm talking to myself when I'm re on the line. It all started between Saphir and Hieroglyphics member
0: Casual. Saphir got on Casual's album and Casual was supposed to get on Safira's album maybe blew it off or a scheduling conflict, who knows. So from that day forth, this like villain fucking origin story, he sort of had it out for cash, but
1: we had no idea. We see this dude, we cool. Nevertheless, the tension between Hiro and Hobo had started to take shape. We went up to the wake up show, either right after them or something
0: like that, like me and Pep Love it was just rapping. And I think he took it as like we're dissing him. So then the next week he got up on the wake up show and we were at some show the rapper Mike T was like, yo, this fool's on the radio dissing y'all peep and handing me the headphones. I was like, Oh shit. So I cut, casual has a show. I cut and go to the radio, like, what's up? Let's get busy right now. And he's like, nah, I don't got beef with you, I got beef with Casual. But this after you done dissed us on the radio. Eventually they met up at a venue. And then they battle on stage. <laughs> You know, it's inconclusive, you know. So they came up with a plan to settle the score. So then Safir was like, yo, we gonna battle next week on the wake up show. And I think he had already talked to Sway about it beforehand, you know, so then we go up there the day of, you know, we going for moral support and shit. But this whole week we're hearing from the homies because we got mutual friends. We the homies, it's the same thing. You know what I'm saying? Uh, What they're going to say, like, they're going to say, and he's like, yo, I don't give a fuck what they're going to say. We're about to bust and da 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 da." da You know, we go there. There's photographers, and it's like fools want to take a picture of casual and Sophia. Like, what the fuck is this? Like, dude, it, we didn't even know you had animosity towards us. Now you have reporters here for this big thing that you've hyped up. Sway has hyped it up.
1: Yo, so we got casual right here. What's up, B?
0: Fine. How you feeling, money?
2: Hey, Sophia, the of saucy Nomad. I'm the boss of Nomad to know. No, well, I'm not waking up. There's some seeds getting eaten up. And niggas wanna get beaten up. Uh, man, and and nigga, week. did your mama tell you
0: that you was my son? When I'm done, your ass will run like a stocking nigga. You a carbon copy? You started sloppy. Mm-hmm. So all these fools we hear, and, and, you know, and then the rest of them is just like their homies and shit. Y'all all got animosity. Y'all all went home and wrote raps about niggas. Ta-J, I'm a ragdoll
2: your ass like a red nose pit. Mixed with sense. Who riders? King Tom, Mr. Tay. Hobo Junction representing it. Way, take the pavement,
0: but don't see, hey. I've had hella battles where I came off hella tighter off the t- top, but uh, how you battle your homie in a non-playful way? So I'm up here angry. I mean, it could have went on forever. Also, it was on the radio, so we're trying not to curse. Like it was, it was not ideal, but I think in the end. It goes down in the history as one of these legendary things. Like I listen to it personally and be like, ah,
1: man, I was just mad. And as they went on, the challenges when it came to defending themselves didn't stop in Oakland or on the road.
0: I mean, we've had fights. I don't remember who we fought. You know what I mean? Oh, but like, it's four of us or there's ten of us, and we're men from East Oakland who grew up in the worst era of the most dangerous era of East Oakland. But but I'm, I'm I also. M. Tajay, who got straight A's and went to Stanford, you know, but also, like, it's for us. We'll beat your ass, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think we were very, very taken aback by being perceived as, like, some kind of, like, bourgeois altar boyish.
1: This misconception of Souls of Mischief and hieroglyphics was present during the creation of the group's second album, No Man's Land. They maintained their intricate rhyme patterns and confident, youthful style, but they sounded hungry.
2: That a mischief, man, you know we
0: Part of the harder edge of No Man's Land, or the perceived harder edge of No Man's Land is like, hey bro, it's almost like how De La Sola's dead record was. Like, yo, we'll beat you up. Like we're three big dudes. Like, and we're from Oakland, so it's like, yo, like, this dude right here, we'll kill you. You know what I'm saying, though? You know, like, like, he, and he's right here, you know what I'm saying? Me,
1: I don't even have to, because he wants to. And the complexity of his upbringing and the different worlds in which he belonged will remain as he continued his education at Stanford. When touring the world rapping took a pause, he was right back to school, where he was one of a few notable people.
0: I went to school with Tiger Woods and Fred Savage, and I was just as cool as them motherfuckers, you know what I'm saying, though? Or, or cooler, you know, and I used to get, like, I used to party at school. But it was Stanford, like... How are you gonna party at a school full of nerds, you know? Yeah. You know what I mean? No, like, everybody was, the, there's no mediocre students there. Everybody was the top student where they were, so.
1: Eventually, Tajay graduated Stanford with a bachelor's in anthropology. And with two albums out on Jive Records, Tajay and Souls of Mischief reached a crossroads in the music industry that would define their careers for decades to come. After being released from Jive, they decided to continue touring and releasing music independently under Hiro's label, Hieroglyphics Emporium Recordings. This set the tone for a lot of independent artists throughout the nation and made a big impact in Oakland's rap scene. More than that, their presence as a crew is still felt to this day. No Hiro, no Eminem.
0: You know what I'm saying? No, like, no no, no Souls of Mischief, no Outkast. But all, but then as you keep rolling, the, no Outkast, no hella shit. No Eminem, no hella shit. It, it's like a exponential growth.
1: And having solidified his impact in music, he still felt the need to achieve in other ways.
0: At a certain age, I sat down and was like, if I was a billionaire, what would I do? And I was like, you know what, I'd probably do architecture. And so then I started thinking about it more and more. Then I was at a show in Switzerland or Sweden, and um, we were at the after party. And I looked around, I was like, I'm the oldest person here. Now, at the time, I was probably 32. And so I had a camera on me and I went out and started taking pictures of the structures around there and then that ended up being part of my portfolio. And then I did a show with old school rapper who will remain unnamed. My homie threw the show and I remember the rapper refusing to go back out unless he gave him another $250. And I was just like, you're jamming this fucking kid up for $250? That's, I never want to be you. You know what I mean? Like ever. I I would rather not rap. You know, I'd rather damn near beg than be trying to Impose some. I'm not going back like I don't want to be that. You
1: know, and this was an old school rapper with who should be a multimillionaire by now. So he went back and got his master's in architecture at Berkeley and became an architectural designer. Now, at the beginning of the show, we dedicated some time to his roots at Stanford, where his parents met, where he was born, and where he graduated college.
0: My dad actually died at Stanford, dude, like in the dorms. Yeah. Well, that was in 2009. Him passing away at Stanford in the dorms, to me, it was like, damn, you really love this motherfucking yeah. school.
1: And his father's love and dedication to school and family were definitely values that he passed on. Tajay, the father of two, is still bringing his passions to life in architecture and music, rocking stages and putting out records with hieroglyphics in his group Rap Noir. It,
0: the love never waned, but now I don't have to work from within the confines of, of an industry which says that you need a budget to do things, and that budget is predicated upon what you last did and what you sell.
1: Fresh Era is a Stupid Fly production, written and edited by me, Craig Smith, and made perfect by the phenomenal DJ Cheap Shot. Chris Barnett got the juice now. Sean Berman is our mix engineer. Music by The Math Club. Art design by Michael Bonanno. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or however you listen to the show. You can find us on social media at Fresh Era Podcast and at Stupid Fly Media. And all of our day ones can go buy some Stupid Fly merchandise at stupid-fly.com. And while you're at it, be sure to check out our game show, Headspin, the world's first golden era hip-hop trivia game cast. As always, we'll see you on the next episode of Fresh Era.